first comedy album I can remember hearing was Bill Cosby. And he had this thing about Noah. Do any of y'all remember the Noah routine? I was wondering what would be the effect of an ark on the average neighbor. Now, here's a guy going to work seven o'clock in the morning, Noah's next door neighbor, and he sees the ark. Hey! Yo, up there! What do you want? What is this? It's an ark. Uh-huh. You want to get it out of my driveway? I got to get to work. Listen, what's this thing for anyway? I can't tell you. Ha, 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 ha. Well, I mean, can't you give me a little hint? You want a hint? Yes, please. How long can you tread water? Ha, 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 ha. The uh, full version is available for download on iTunes. It takes about seven minutes to listen to it all. It was really hard to figure out what part to clip so that I could still get through the lesson as opposed to making this simply Bill Cosby Sunday. But um, that's a story that everyone knows. I think you could go to the most unchurched person of adult years maybe people who've never been in a church in their life, and ask them about Noah and the ark, and they'll at least have some knowledge of the story. Don't you know folks who grew up with Scripture certainly have knowledge of it? Debbie, you taught it to your kids growing up, didn't you? Mike, you probably did too. We teach that to our children. It's a wonderful story. Noah and the ark and the animals that came in by two, uh, male and female, although Bill Cosby says originally Noah had two male hippopotamuses, and that's more of his story than mine. But uh, um, the story is one I have no doubt Paul knew and Paul was taught. It's a story that would have been taught to the young back in Paul's day just as much as ours today. And I don't know that I'm ever able to get in water from a boat perspective at least without thinking of at least Bill Cosby's line, how long can you tread water? Because as my dad said when he was in the Navy, he'll never forget the first time it struck him. They were out at sea. He's on the ship and he realized the closest land was two miles away, but it was straight below them. There's something about being on water and boats that, that harkens back uh, a lot of these memories of these different stories, especially if you've ever been in water where it's a dangerous situation. Well, we're going to talk this morning about Paul's voyage from Caesarea to Rome. Well, we don't get him all the way to Rome. But we've been talking about his life. We've hit the point now where Paul has appealed to Caesar. And so Paul's taking his case to Caesar from Caesarea. The harbor at Caesarea today 
looks something like this. If we try to reconstruct it, some fellows have done a good drawing to show what it probably looked like at the time of Paul. And this was a protected harbor that had been built by Herod the Great. And Paul would have been in the harbor. And these are passages where Luke again starts talking as we, the we passages in Acts. Because these are passages where Luke is part of it with Paul. And so Luke and Paul, and if you'll recall, if you were here, when Paul originally came in from the mission field to Jerusalem, he brought a contribution for the churches. And Luke tells us, Luke was with him on that journey. Luke tells us who came from those churches with Luke and Paul. One fella has stuck around over the last two years. His name is Aristarchus. And so Luke and Aristarchus and Paul, the three of them together, are put under the care of a Roman centurion. His name is Julius. He was this orange guy. No. (laughs) Sorry. Julius, I think Luke names him, and I could be wrong. But I think Luke names him for some very personal reasons. And we'll see the way the story unfolds. This was not someone Luke and Paul and Aristarchus knew simply as the centurion. Or the Roman uh, soldier who's over the Roman troops that have Paul in their care and custody. They got to know him on a first name basis. And so his first name is used here. Aristarchus, Paul... Luke, the centurion, the centurion soldiers, they all get on board a boat and they sail out of the harbor in Caesarea headed to Italy. But they're not going straight to Italy. Now, boat traveling was different then than it is now. Now we have GPS, global positioning satellite technology. They did not have that. Now we have good Boy Scout compasses. They did not have Boy Scout compasses. They had some tools, but the tools were highly dependent upon being able to see the stars at night. And really, the sun during the day, because it generally rises in the east, sets in the west... And so they could position themselves and get direction off of those things. But because they were so limited in their technology, the ships typically didn't like to lose sight of land if they could avoid it. And over in that area, if you've ever cruised or helicoptered or flown or visited that area, there are little spots of islands and lands throughout that portion of the Mediterranean. So on a ship of Adramidium, which is a town off of Turkey, they set sail on a boat that starts from Caesarea. Their ultimate goal is to get to Rome. And this boat is going to, we're going to zoom in a little bit here. This boat is going to sort of skirt the coast on the way to Rome. You and I look at it and we think, well, mercy, you just shoot right across the N-U-M in Mara Internum. Right on into Rome. No, they couldn't do that. They couldn't take the open sea like that. It was too dangerous. That's not the way they did it. 
So they start out and they go and their first stop is 69 miles up the road, the town of Sidon. And they put into port there and they just kind of skirt. Now, let me also warn you that these wonderful maps, if you have a Bible, most Bibles that have maps will have a map of Paul's journeys and they'll have this last journey. And this last journey on, on Paul's, often it just shows a straight line. They didn't sail straight. They were under sail. They weren't under motor. And when you sail, you, because the wind is rarely exactly behind you on where you need to go, you have a tendency to zig and zag as you work the wind to get where you want to go. But nobody's going to draw a line like that. So instead, the line looks nice and smooth. But it took them a while. So they sail 69 miles up to Sidon. While they're in Sidon, Luke tells us that Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. Connection group. Bam, right there in Sidon. There's something about being connected. Luke is a doctor and the word cared for is a Greek word that actually references medical attention. So the idea or some type of physical attention. So the idea is that Paul, whoops, Paul needed some type of, of medical or physical help at this point. Um, we don't know what. Julius treats him kindly, lets him go on shore they come back, they get back on the boat, and off they sail again. Well, now at this point, Luke tells us, and by the way, any of you out there, I know some of you, any of you out there ever taken any kind of a Greek class? Raise your hand. Okay, I've got a handful. All right. Any of you ever um, in a fraternity or a sorority and have to learn the Greek alphabet? Okay, see, you're a bunch of scholars. <laughs> I was not in a fraternity, so I get to make fraternity jokes. Um, if you took advanced Greek, there are a lot of schools that would have this portion of Acts as an advanced Greek reading class because it's incredibly hard. There are so many words that occur in just this chapter 27 of Acts that don't occur anywhere else in the New Testament. And they're, they're bizarre terms. And there are some bizarre twists of grammar. I'm going to tell you why at the end of this class. But not now. So, Paul, but one of those words was Paul getting the medical attention. That's a very unusual word. And it's the only place it occurs in that form in the New Testament is here. So they're at Sidon. And from Sidon, they start going further. And they go around Cyprus on the coast side of Cyprus. And some of that was made necessary because of the way the winds were blowing. So they went on what's called the Lee, L-E-E, -E, side of the island. By the way, even secular scholars say that Luke's account of the sailing voyage in Acts is one of the most dead reckoning, uh, 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 clearest, uh, um, illustrative, best accounts of a nautical sea voyage at that, uh, from that era. It's, it's, it's studied by 
nautical historians who have absolutely no basis for reading it from a Christian perspective at all because it's, it's so, so clearly written and so detailed in what it says. So they sailed to the Lee, L-E-E, side of Cyprus. Now, in sailing terminology, the Lee side is the side uh, that's protected from the wind, that's downwind. So if the winds were blowing the exact opposite way, the lee side of Cyprus would have been on the other side of Cyprus. Lee is just in reference to the wind. So the winds are giving them some trouble and cause them to go the long way around Cyprus. And they get to Mira. When they arrive at Mira on the coast of modern Turkey, they change vessels. And it's in Mira that the centurion found a ship of Alexandria that was sailing for Italy. Alexandria, of course, is in Egypt, right? We go back a slide. Alexandria is down in that Egyptus area, uh, Egypt. But even though Alexandria is in Egypt, Alexandria was the principal source of grain for Rome. And the Roman emperor had commanded to be built massive ships to transport grain. It's the way he kept everybody in Rome happy. In fact, the, the, the Caesars would, would even insure those vessels and would pay extra to the captains of those vessels. But the vessels were huge um, for that day, pretty big for today. One that was recently dug up right outside the harbor of Caesarea was 149 feet long. That's, that's half a football field. Had a hold of 40 feet to hold grain. And that's, that's a pretty big ship, okay? So they get on a ship of Alexandria that's sailing for Italy. That tells us it's a grain ship. It's one of these big ships. Luke's going to tell us later there were 276 people on board. Okay? Big boat. Now, the wind starts messing with them. They wanted to go from Myra probably up a little bit further across the coast and you could hit over to Greece pretty easy. Now, this picture I've got doesn't show you all the islands, but there are good islands that dot all the way over to Greece. And from there, you can get over to Italy pretty good. But the wind made progress really slow. It takes them days and days and days before they just get over to this little island called Sinidus, C-N-I-D-U-S, right there. Whoops. From Sinidus... They stop, and the progress just didn't go in right. The wind's just dead set against them. So they've got no choice but to try to make uh, uh, progress by going south. So they go south to Crete. That's that long island there. And they go on the lee side of Crete. And they come around the south end of Crete to this place called Fair Havens. Fair Havens, it's a harbor. It's not a big harbor. It's near a little town called Lycia. It's, it's nothing too big, but they stop there, and the wind's just not really helping them, and they, they stop, and they try and figure out what to do, and they hold a council. Now, at this council, Paul makes a suggestion. Paul says, I think travel's dangerous right now, and I think we've got a good shot at losing cargo, ship, and life if we continue. So why don't we go ahead and let's stop and just winter here. Here's what Paul's talking about. The Roman calendar 
was one that, that is not the same as ours. So anytime you look at dates that are written at that time, you got there's a whole science in translating it into our calendar. So I'm going to talk in our calendar instead of trying to educate us all on a Roman calendar. Fair? Our calendar has 12 months, many of them named after Romans and uh, named by the Romans. Uh, July, Julius is Julius Caesar. Uh, August is Caesar Augustus. Um, but anyway, here's what we know. If you wanted to sail, you got a green light and it was safe to do it during times that were in early May, all of June, I mean late May, all of June, July, August, and the first part of September until September 14th. That's safe sailing season. Still is today. You go over in the Mediterranean, those are safe months to sail. Those are the months when cruise ships ply the waters readily. Now, it was risky to sail. It was risky to sail from March 10th to May 26th. By the way, if you're curious where we get this from, it comes from a number of sources, but these precise dates are given by a military strategist who was over some of the Roman fleets about 100 years after Paul. And he's written it down, and I've referenced him in the the, uh, lesson for you. But from March 10th through May 26th, you could sail, but it was kind of risky and dangerous. It was also at a time between September 14th and November 11th when you could sail, but it was kind of risky and dangerous. Now, the ocean was shut down to sailing, and sailing was prohibited absent an emergency, which might include grain if grain is needed and there's not enough. From May 27th, That should not be September 14th. That should be um, March the 9th. I'm sorry. We'll make that change. May 27th to March the 9th, it's prohibited. The winter storms are too bad and the weather's too unpredictable. You couldn't sail then. The waters are too choppy. It just wasn't safe. So Rome shut down the ocean, the Mediterranean Sea. It's interesting. Paul knew all of this. Of course, the boat pilot had to know it too. But this is why Luke says the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over. The fast was referring to the Hebrew celebration of the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. That happened sometime in this range of early October. So it looks like when Paul started out on this voyage, they were in the safe period of September, but running up against bad weather. They still tried to make the run. And they tried to get Paul to, to Italy or at least as far down the road as they could till they had to shut it down. They got to the harbor in Mira. They changed boats. They found a boat headed to Italy, thought they could make it, but the weather turned against them. They've hit the point now where it's risky. And this is when Paul says to them, hey, sirs, which means Paul's being very respectful, sirs. I perceive the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. Now, Paul was not speaking prophetically. This was not an oracle. This was not, thus saith the Lord. This is Paul's opinion. Ultimately, we're going to see Paul was right in a lot of regards, wrong also. There was no loss of life. But Paul says this to the boat captain and to the centurion and to the boat owner because the owner of the boat's ship is on it as well. They have this council. 
the pilot and the ship owner said, nah, we're going to be okay. See, Paul wanted them to stop at Fair Havens. They said, let's at least try and just take a day and sail around the coast of Crete over to a good harbor so that we can winter in a better harbor. Food's going to be better. Uh, The harbor town offers a little bit more for the crew. And uh, we'll be that much closer to Rome when we kick back up next year. Paul says, I don't think you're going to be doing it. They said, well, you're a traveler. I'll be at an experienced one, but this is our job, man. You know, just let the pros handle this one. So the pros handle it, and they take off from Fair Havens. And they just have to sail. There's a good southerly wind that comes up, pretty confirming to the OLL Capitan. And he says, that's what we need. It's a good southerly wind. We're just going to get around the corner here at Crete. Everything's going to be dandy. We'll stop at my favorite harbor for the winter. So they pull anchor, they hoist sail, and they start skirting the coast. And as soon as they start skirting the coast, the wind shifts. And that nice southerly breeze becomes a violent, tempestuous wind from the northeast. In fact, they had a phrase for it. They called it a northeaster. They really did. That's what Luke says. It is a northeaster that blew. Luke goes further. He says it was a tempestuous wind. A tempestuous wind that messed them up. Oh, we're going to do it again? There it is. And it starts blowing them off course. They can't turn the corner at Crete. They can't even get back to the coast. The wind's blowing dead off the coast. And they've got no choice to do much at all. See, it wasn't just a wind. It was what Luke calls a typhonos wind. Do you know what we get from that word? Typhoon. Yeah, like funnel clouds. Like really, really, really bad weather. Boom, it comes in. Now, at this point, we need to change maps. We need to go to Google Earth. And Google Earth shows us A. That's the island of Crete. This is an actual satellite photo, okay, of Crete. If you'll see, I've put the boat down there under this little spit of land. That little spit of land is an island called Kata. Because... What happens is the boat starts going, well, there's no harbor in Cotta, but they're able to turn the boat under Cotta and be on the lee side of Cotta, which means at least there's this big outbreak that's sheltering them from the wind a little bit. It's a little bit of protection from the, the, the beating of the waves. Not a lot, but a little bit, enough for them to do some things. First of all, they've been towing a rowboat behind them, a dinghy. That's what they'd use to ferry people back and forth to shore with if they needed to. That's what they'd use to bring supplies from shore with if they're in a harbor where they can't go up to a dock. And so they've got the dinghy. They pull the dinghy out of the water and put it on board the boat because they're going to lose the dinghy. Then they take cables and they start strapping cables around the bottom of the boat. Now that's important because this boat's carrying grain. Do you know what happens when grain gets wet? It's like me when I eat lunch at mom's. You double in size. 
And, and that can bust apart the boat. So they're, they're, they're reinforcing the hull of the boat by putting straps under it. They're pulling out the dinghy. They're getting things ready. They take down the sail so that it minimizes how much they're driven. But the storm just keeps coming and it keeps driving them south. And it drives them south so much and it's driving so hard they're afraid it's going to plow them into, into uh, Africa. They can't see much at all. It's blinding rain. It's horrendous waves that are rocking the boat. And I don't know if they have anybody like Lewis on there. But I got to... You know, Becky and I had an opportunity to spend some time with Lewis and Michelle once. And Lewis has a very tender tummy on the water. So we decide we're in Mexico. And we decide we're going snorkeling. And Lewis wants to go snorkeling. He really wants to go. And I'm amazed. Lewis wants to go. It's just me and Lewis that want to go. The women are smarter. So we get on. And we're in the bay. We're in the little harbor area. The water's not that bad for anybody on the boat but Lewis. But it touched his tender tummy. So we have this gentleman who's speaking to us in Spanish. Lewis's Spanish is is not much better than mine. We're both pretty atrocious at it. And he, the fellow's speaking some English and some Spanish, and, and he's giving us our snorkel gear and explaining how to do it. <laughs> Lewis just looks at me and he says, uh, i, I, I got to get off this boat. I said, what? He's, I'm, I'm losing it. I'm going to lose lunch. I've, I've got to get off the boat. I said, well, I don't even remotely know how to talk this fellow who's got this boat with 20 of us to snorkel how to take you back. I don't, I, I don't, it doesn't matter. I don't have time. And he jumps off the boat. <laughs> now Lewis has a life jacket on. The boat captain at this point is, Señor, Señor, no, no, not yet. No listos, no listos. No, no, in the boat, in the boat. And Lewis, Lewis has got his life jacket on. Well, he's jumped from the boat where he's dry going like this into the water where the waves are sending him like this. And he's just I'm going to lose it. I'm going to lose it. The, the, the boat captain, Senor, Senor, back on the boat, back on the boat. Lewis, he's starting to swim to land, baby. There's nothing getting in his way. He, meanwhile, the, I'm sitting there like, what do you do? Lewis has no clue where we're staying. He's in a swimsuit without a penny on him or a peso on him because there's no pocket to put it on. He's got a life jacket that doesn't belong to him, and he's meticulously honest. He's got, I don't remember if he had the guy's snorkel gear or not, and he swam, oh, a couple hundred yards to the nearest coast. Well, the guy's not going to take his boat over there just to stop this silly American from stealing his life jacket. He's got a bunch of paying customers. So we sit there and we finish the snorkel activity and then we start motoring back to the harbor where we took off from some 20 minutes away. Lewis is just, I'm just thinking he's a smart guy. Maybe some point he'll find where his family and friends are. Um, anyway, so this boat is moving. I promise you, Lewis has been off this boat a long time ago. This boat is up and down and up and down and side to side. And there's everybody's wondering if they'll even survive. The boat's being driven. It is just being pushed further and further from the island. And, and Luke says, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. We, Luke 
And with difficulty, that's a medical term that kind of indicates he's remembering the blisters on his hands because Luke was in, I mean, any landlubber can haul a, a, a rope, you know. So he's helping with that. Meanwhile, they are the ones, not Luke, they are the ones who have tried to reinforce and undergird the ship. And all of this is going on while everything's rocking. They're fearing the wind's going to push them down to Sirtis, which is Africa. And that, so they, they lowered the gear. Now, we're not sure nautically if that means they dropped some anchors to slow the progress or they lowered the mainsail to slow the progress. I suspect they did both. But they lowered the gear and just said, let's pray. And the wind drives them along. And that's what happened. And so they get driven along. And it's the perfect storm. <laughs> Day two. They start throwing away all the extra cargo they can. Just anything they can get off the ship that they can throw away, they're throwing away. They don't want it thrown at them, so they're throwing it overboard. They don't want it to weigh the ship down unnecessarily, they're throwing it overboard. This stuff is the stuff that's sliding back and forth on the deck. Day three, they start throwing away the tackle. They're just doing anything they can to clear things out and to get things ready. They're throwing away everything they can. Day four and following... All hope is abandoned. They don't have a clue what's going to happen. The, the, the rain is still coming. The typhoons are coming. The winds are bad. You, you, you don't have the instruments when it's all cloudy and stormy during the day and the night. They've got no clue where they are. No clue at all. They're Lewis stuck in Acapulco, Mexico. <laughs> They've got no clue where they are. No clue where they, 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 they're in trouble. And at this point, desperation set in, all hope is abandoned, and um, that goes on for some time. Now, sometime around day 10 or so, we don't know exactly what day, but well into it, Paul comes out and speaks to everybody. And Paul has a word from Paul and a word from the Lord. See if you can tell which is which. I'll give you a hint. First, a word from Paul. I told you so. Maybe that's just a credibility builder for what he's about to say. But Paul does begin, bless his heart, very humanly with, you know, this is exactly what I told you about when we were at Fair Havens and, hey, this is my job, man. I can make it around the corner of Crete. Now, having said that, I put this whole passage on here because I, I love this passage. This passage moves me. This is our brother Paul talking. He says, take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel. Now listen to how he describes our God. An angel of the God to whom I belong. The God to whom I belong. I love that. That touches me. The God to whom I belong. He's taking care of me. This is why David Fleming was so dead on this morning when he said, you know, give your ministry up to God. Let it be his. This is the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said to me, don't be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you. All those who sail with you. So take heart, men, because I have faith in God and it's going to be exactly like he said. Now, 
we're going to run aground on some kind of land, on some island. So let's get ready. And that's what Paul says. The 14th night is land near. Oh, we could do it that way too. Island near. Sorry, that's just struck me as kind of unusual. Is land near? Island near. Both legitimate questions. In the English language, great. Is land near? I land near? Okay. Anyway, 14th night, the sailors start thinking land is near. And so they take a sounding. They take a, a heavy rock or iron or something that's on the end of a rope and they let it down until they can tell that it touches the bottom of the ocean or the sea. And as they do it, they say, um, oh, that's a funny picture. Hold on. As they do it, they realize that it's going down about 120 feet. Let's go back there. They go down about 120 feet. Then they wait a while and they go down again and they go down about 75 feet. What does that tell you? Yeah, the ocean floor is getting taller, which means they're getting closer to land. So they drop four anchors from the back of the boat, from the stern. And then some of the sailors say, we got to get the dinghy down. We got to get the boat down and we'll take it around. We'll row around and we'll drop some anchors from the bow, from the front. They weren't really going to do that. They were going to leave the ship and row for shore. Paul gets wind of it. So when they say, uh, we need to drop some anchors from the bow. We'll be back. Paul proceeds to tell the centurion, hey, these sailors leave the boat, you die. Not me. I've got to appear before Caesar. But you'll die if you let the sailors go. At which point they say, eh, 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 and they go to the rope that's holding the dinghy and they just cut it and let the dinghy go. Now the sailors are stuck there with them. And the sailors have to do their thing to ensure everybody's safety. So with that, the sailors say, okay, uh, we're in here for the long haul. So they, they uh, uh, start getting things ready. Paul comes out and has another word for him. He says, okay, it's time to eat. Today's the day. We're getting off this boat. Um, we're going to run aground and uh, uh, we're going to be shipwrecked. But don't worry, there's not a hair on your head that's going to be hurt. You are going to, you're going to be fine. So let's eat. And Paul takes bread and Luke makes a point of saying in front of everybody, Paul prays. And he passes out the bread. Paul's not ashamed to pray in front of people. The God to whom he belongs and whom he worships, he honors. Paul passes out the bread. Then they go to the sailors are working on the ship. They're making the ship as light as possible. They're dumping all the grain out. They're dumping everything they can. They want the ship to ride high in the water. They see a beach and they're going to make for the beach. But the beach is a gradual, you know, at some point they're going to be swimming. They'd like to be as close to the beach as possible before they start swimming. Make sense? So they lighten it. They get it as light as possible. And then they run aground on a reef before they get to the beach. And the way they run aground, the, 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 the bow of the boat gets stuck in the reef. And the waves are crashing against the back and starting to tear up the boat. So the abandoned ship cry is made. 
and the captain and, and pilot and everybody, everybody who can swim, the beach is over there. If you can't swim, grab a board, but get ready to get over. And it's, uh, you, you, there are interesting accounts of people abandoning ship in those days and how they'd get aboard and hold their valuables up and, and things like that. So, so they obviously are able to keep some papers and other things like that. But they get off and, and uh, uh, the soldiers are saying, time out. We have some prisoners here and odds are they're going to escape when we do this. So easy way around this, let's just kill them. And they're going to kill the prisoners. An accepted thing to do back then because most prisoners were guilty anyway. So the centurion, though, hears about it, and the centurion says no because, Luke says, Julius wanted to save Paul's life. And so the centurion intervenes. They don't kill. The ship runs aground. Look at where it went. In Malta. I'm sure their first food there was their Malta meal. Um <laughs> They run aground in Malta, <laughs> and uh, that's where we'll pick up our narrative next week. Points for home. First, why the detail? I mean, Luke lets years go by in a verse, and yet Luke spends this long chapter with this incredibly difficult vocabulary, with this incredibly tough Greek, on this. And scholars have debated why. Oh, some scholars say Luke wanted to show us that he'd read his Homer. Because some of the Greek that Luke uses was Homeric Greek. He makes references to Homer wrote the Odyssey, the first great sea voyage narrative of, of literature. Of course, he wrote it some six, seven hundred years earlier. But it's clear that Luke, the physician, had read his Homer. And ever since Homer's Odyssey, there was something of a craft to writing a good sea story. Much like we have, uh, what, there's a craft today for, you know, the Louis L'Amour Westerns or the Harlequin romances, you know. There are these genres of literature that, that have this craft to them. And that was one. So some people say it was just because Luke wanted to... to Show off his abilities in that regard. Eh, I'm not totally there. Um, uh, some folks say that uh, uh, this is just what happened and Luke's just a detail guy. And we've certainly seen when Luke's involved, he gives more detail. We've seen that in the we sections. That could be some of it too. But let me tell you why I believe uh, one of the reasons is he did it. Throughout biblical literature and secular literature... Our lives have often been compared to sea voyages. They just have. We find the illustrations in the Bible. You go back and read about Jonah and the whale. And Jonah and the whale is not just a story about Jonah and the whale. But it's also a story that, that is told in such a way that it gives us very strong lessons for the way we live our lives. That we can try to flee God as far as we might. But God is there. And God will bring us about to his will. And there are lessons that come from these sea stories. I think there's a lesson from this one. And while I am always very careful to look at anything and try to draw an allegorical message, I think it's okay in this one because it's a message that's reinforced with Scripture. And here it is. 
your life might be a sea storm right now. It might be because of bad decisions and you've sailed past the safe date. It might be because you didn't follow God's word where you should have or the advice of godly counselors. But it doesn't matter how you're being tossed about. Doesn't matter if you feel like your ship's about to bust open. Doesn't matter if you've lost all control and all compass bearing of where you are. There is a God who is the master of the sea and of your life. And if you turn your heart and your will to his, he will rescue you. Oh, the storm may last for weeks. But there is deliverance at the end. You may lose a lot of possessions. But there is deliverance at the end because there is a God to whom you belong, whom you worship. And in all things, this God works for the good for those who love him. Point two. Paul. Men, you should have listened to me. That's Greek for, I told you so. You know, even though Paul wasn't speaking of thus saith the Lord, there really is something. And it's said, talked about over and over in the Proverbs about taking advice and counsel. And it's a good thing to do. When you do it, be careful. Take it from godly people. Because the counsel of the deceitful, the wicked, is wrong. So be careful, but find good counselors. Get advice. It's a good thing to do. Final point. The centurion wishing to save Paul kept his soldiers from carrying out their plan of executing prisoners. Wow. He'd only known Paul for a month. Paul must have made quite an impression on him. I want to urge us all to live our lives before the world in ways where they might want to save us. Live a life worth saving. Or as Jesus said, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Pray with me, please. Lord, God, Heavenly Father, Master of the waves, to whom we belong and whom we worship, would you bless each person in this room, each person joining me in prayer right now. Father, would your spirit touch them with blessing? Would you hold them, navigate them, soften their hearts, break open the, the jars holding the, 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 the offering of their lives to you? Would you do whatever it takes for every person in this room to, to more fully understand you, more fully trust you, and to find you as the master of their destiny? I pray that you'll also help us in the practical ways of daily living. I pray you'll give us good counselors in our lives that will be good counselors for others. And of course, Lord, it's our prayer that as we live, our light, your light will shine through us to bring you glory and praise.
in the world in which we live. Through Jesus we pray, amen.